On this edition of the program, we have a long-form conversation with Stephen Gutowski of The Reload all about guns, the current talking points, the Supreme Court, and even Hunter Biden. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for July 4th. Normally release this on Wednesdays, but you're going to get it early. It's on Tuesday, July 4th, America's birthday. I'll tell you what, still looking pretty good for her age. Well, that is, if you have a sunny disposition on our country, many do, many don't. I tend to believe that America's self-loathing is its superpower. It is the clarifying and purifying force for which keeps us moving forward. As a young country, we have a privilege that youth allows us, the ability to change things that have yet to be set in stone. And I do think that it is something that sets America apart as a very rich, very powerful, and yet very agile nation. But obviously, with the idea of identifying our flaws comes the existence of flaws. And it shows us the ugly elements of our own humanity. And so, at the intersection of personal rights and unspeakable tragedy, lies the uniquely American question of firearms, guns. Obviously, it means a lot to a lot of people, and it very, very clearly has an effect on our political system. And so we're going to take this week, uh, uh, no episode on Friday, this is going to be the only episode of PX3 on the free feed this week. I'm taking uh, the rest of the week off to uh, take care of some other stuff here for the holiday. We are going to give you a conversation with Stephen Gutowski of The Reload. He is also a CNN contributor. You've seen him on your television and you've heard him on this show. But for my money, if I want to have a conversation about gun statistics and to have it be held with uh, an even hand, he's the person that I like to talk to. And I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Not only are we going to go over what our modern talking points are about this particular subject, but also a case that the Supreme Court has heard or announced that they will hear, and by the way, will drop that 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 resolution will drop in a particularly juicy time on the political calendar. And then, of course, the question of Hunter Biden and whether or not the gun charge that he just made a deal for 
is at all fair compared to other people who have committed similar crimes. That's the episode. And here we go. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me. We we just did a whole episode that we probably should have recorded just on 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 Twitter. So uh, we will talk about something <laughs> uh, uh, less controversial here, and that is guns in America in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three. I've got a couple things that I want to talk to you about, but let's start here. The breaking news: Supreme Court announcing cases that they are going to take for the next term. And one of them is a pretty big one that involves gun rights. Uh, What is the case? Yeah. So this is a case called United States v. Rahimi, and it deals with the domestic violence restraining order gun ban. So if you are subject to a domestic violence restraining order, you can't own guns. And this plaintiff, Rahimi, or defendant, I guess in this case, Mm -hmm. um, he owned guns while he was subject to a domestic violence restraining order. He committed a bunch of other, he allegedly committed a bunch of other crimes as well. But the what matters in this case is his ownership of firearms while under this restraining order. And the Fifth Circuit, uh, a panel of the Fifth Circuit said this violates the Second Amendment. And so that's what the, the Supreme Court is going to take up and decide. So this would, I guess, if you're looking at it, not only from the viability Uh, of these laws, these restraining order laws, but also probably even precedent wise to the heart of, of gun laws, just kind of in general, that Mm -hmm. this will be a a pretty good litmus test of where this court says the line would be drawn because this, this kind of seems like a fairly well-drawn line, at least in gun law over the last couple decades. Right. Yeah. Well, so in 2022, the Supreme court handed down New York state rifle and pistol association be Bruin which struck down New York's uh, restrictive gun carry law. But Mm -hmm. more importantly, it set a new standard, a new test for how courts are supposed to decide Second Amendment cases. And so in that time, there's been a lot of movement in the lower courts uh, and a lot of judges have come down on different ends of the spectrum in terms of how they've applied this test. And so this will be the first case where the Supreme Court is going back and applying the test themselves, presumably, uh, which will give a lot of insight, I would think, on how to do that in the future, because there's a lot of different debates in the lower courts about the details of this new test. When would this be decided, this case? Uh, well, they should hear it in October. So we probably would get it, uh, you know, spring, summer next year. Mm. Right in the middle of a political election uh, for president. Yes. That'd be uh, that'd be very, very interesting. And so with that, let's talk about the larger element of this, because we are gearing up for the 2024 election. Uh, obviously, gun violence is something that is a very big uh, story on the left. Gun rights, a very, very big Story on the right is something that we are going to hear consistently, as we always do, once every four years from a national scale. But Joe Biden has been gearing up, uh, it feels like, from my perspective, talking more about guns and, 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 and gun violence. From your perspective watching this, do you what are his talking points and, and do you think that we are going to see any kind of executive action between now and the election? 
Well, I don't know that there's much more he can do from an executive action standpoint. He's already taken some pretty aggressive moves. Uh, they're not really ones that I think the general public is well aware of necessarily, mm-hmm. but they are actually fairly expansive. He has the pistol brace ban, which affects millions of firearms, effectively turning them into uh, or reclassifying them as short barrel rifles, which means that they have to be registered with the federal government. And if you don't register them, which the vast majority of people who own these appear not to have registered them, it's only like a uh, somewhere between a 0.6 and an 8% compliance rate. There's huge variations in how many of these things are estimated to be out there. So that's why the. So, wait, so we, are, we are talking about there. the brace themselves or guns that can have a brace applied to them. Guns that have a brace on them. Gotcha. It's a little, it's, it's pretty technical thing, but it has a pretty significant impact, I guess is the point. <laughs> you know, we, there's certain, we could absolutely talk about the tiny details of it, but uh, I think the big picture point is that it affects m- millions of firearms, regardless of which estimate you look at, whether it's the ATF or the Congressional Research Service, yeah. had a different estimate that was much larger than the ATFs. But uh, you know, he's done several of these sorts of executive actions, and they've all thought, run into significant trouble in the courts. He actually just had his uh, ghost gun regulation struck down as unconstitutional um, this weekend. Fill in fill in for, for the audience what, what the ghost gun regulation was. Yes, this is a regulation that reclassifies what is considered to be a firearm uh, under federal law so what what the regulated part is you know obviously on a gun there's a lot of different parts mm-hmm. that go into putting together any kind of gun and so the atf generally picks a specific part usually the receiver or the frame and says this is the gun in terms of you know when you have to go and get a background check to buy one and all that and so one of the things that exists out there are these partially finished or partially unfinished uh frames and receivers that have made it somewhat through the manufacturing process, but haven't been completed, right? So you can't actually put them together and make a gun out of them without uh, doing milling yourself or something along those lines gotcha. uh, at home. And so these these are what people call ghost guns, uh, although that can re- generally ghost gun can refer to anything that doesn't have a serial number. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because now that can be because the serial number was scratched off, it used to have one. But also it can be a homemade firearm where somebody buys this partially completed, 80% complete is what the some Some, the some assembly required, kind of like, yes. like, like Ikea, a, a gun you would buy at Ikea. Yeah, kind of, right? Except not all the parts are totally finished. Gotcha. Um, and so you'd have to do that last 20% of work. Yourself. The, that's just slang, but yeah, uh, it's just a rough estimate that people use, but uh, yeah, you'd have to finish out that milling, milling out the pieces where the trigger might go or what have you, and then put it together. But if you do it that way, you don't have to go through the sort of regulatory process mm-hmm. of buying a finished gun or selling a finished gun. So it doesn't have to have that serial number as required for finished products. And that's why they call them ghost guns, because they can't be traced back to where you bought them from um, in the event that they show up in a crime. But so Biden had changed the rules around these things to try and make it more difficult to buy the unfinished parts without going through that regulatory process of a finished gun. Um, But it was just ruled unconstitutional because the ATF doesn't have the authority to make that change without Congress 
updating the law is uh, gotcha. basically the the long and short of why that failed. It's the same problem for the pistol brace ban uh, that it's likely going to run into in the short term here as well. So it seems that the Biden administration has been content, at least over the last year, to take larger swings than you might think they could, with the idea being that they are going to get pushback in the court. We obviously saw that this week with the student relief, a student debt relief plan. Mm -hmm. So the messaging out there uh, feels to to an outside observer to be more important than whether or not this is actually going to hold up in court. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a fair thing to say. You know, I mean, look, the president's limited by Congress. Um, This is true for all presidents, right? They all they all say that they're going to pass everything under the sun and they're going to make your life a beautiful, uh, you know, dreamscape. And there's there won't be any fear or hunger left in the world when they're president. But uh, the reality is for any of these guys, they have to work with Congress. And for the last good while here last generation you haven't had a congress that uh one party can just push through whatever it wants yeah and and so you know the president would love to do all kinds of new restrictions on guns if he could get it through congress but he can't and he's never been able to and even when democrats had full control of congress they weren't able to do that much either because they only had uh you know 50 50 split in the senate and a small majority in in the house so you know you need more than that to get legislation through and so you generally end up having to compromise or uh you know result in deadlock which is mostly what we've seen on on gun issues they did obviously pass one uh gun control bill that i think most people have probably forgotten about at this point but yeah uh, you know it did a few things like expand the definition of what constitutes domestic violence um and you know, and it it added a new process for background checks for people between the ages of 18 and 21. But, um, you know, those things are relatively minor and um, not what certainly Democrats would like to see and probably more than what a lot of Republicans want to see. And that's the fascinating part about a lot of different issues is that we are now entering into you know, over a decade's worth of pretty 50 50 control in in almost both houses. It's been it's been a while since any party has flirted with, you know, that that 10 seat uh, cushion in the Senate. Uh, certainly the House has flipped several times over the last few years. And now you've seen both parties turn over leadership, which doesn't always happen. So. You would think that when everybody is at a parody that you might see more consensus building or, hey, let's let's take wins where we can. And yet, you know, oh, so many years on and guns are certainly no uh, it's not like that is a, a an outstanding issue. It's almost with everything there. There has not been a ton of bipartisan stuff. And like you mentioned, when there is like last term in the Senate. There was a bunch of bipartisan stuff that, that 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 got done and either people forget about it immediately or nobody really gets a lot of credit for it or or at least a lot yeah. of electoral utility. Yeah. Co- compromise is not sexy, I guess. It's not <laughs> it's not something that riles up your voters, um, uh, certainly not in a positive way, at least. And so, you know, because uh, these parties are, are pretty well captured by their base uh, in a lot of ways. Now there's you know polarization is pretty strong and. And so the the inclination is to fight, right? Yeah. Uh, more than it is to compromise. And so, 
um, you know, the lawmakers have to balance that that push from back home uh, from their most enthusiastic uh, supporters with actually governing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's how it, that's how it always is. Right. I mean, it's just this something goes back to, you know, presidents promise you everything. Politicians promise you everything when they're running, but they can't actually deliver most of that stuff. And so they have to figure out a way to um, do what they can do without pissing everyone off. So one of the things that I've noticed in in my observations are this emerging talking point that has not only sort of filtered through uh, gun control advocacy and pop culture, but also you've uh, seen with the White House. And that is the talking point that gun violence is the biggest killer of children in America. And that Hmm. specifically that is an example of our unique and in, in the minds of the gun control uh, crowd, incredibly self-destructive fascination with firearms. And that's why it's a a uniquely American problem. Hmm. Uh, When you hear that talking point, what comes to mind from your perspective as somebody who keeps an eye on the, 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 uh, this beat in general? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, right? Because this is something that's been said for a while, but actually um, has been misleading for a long time. Uh, you could still argue that parts parts of it are, are a bit misleading, but it's it is true now that um, for anyone under eighteen, the leading cause of death for uh, at least in twenty twenty one, I believe, or uh, was firearm related, um, uh, either accidents, suicides, or or murders. Um, obviously they lump all these things together, but, uh, for a long time, it wasn't true. And they, what they would do is, uh, say children and teens, or sometimes they would just say children and leave out the teens part because they want to include 18 and 19 year olds in this count because they have a much higher rate of, uh, firearm death, specifically firearm murder. Um, then, you know, I think, feel like one of the problems with the stat is even when, it is correct as it, as it has been at least for one year. Um, it still feels a bit misleading because if you look at the breakdown of these, these numbers for minors, uh, yeah. and gun deaths, what you'll find is most of them are teenagers and most of them are being murdered. Um, and, and so it's not, that there's, you know, just not to say that, that there isn't a, that, that the stat doesn't shine a, a uh, a light on a significant on a problem, problem yeah. in the United States. Like it is bad and it did get worse um, uh, for teens, uh, you know, especially uh, teens in urban centers. Post lockdown, it sounds like if, if, if this was in yeah. 2021, then mm-hmm. yeah, that was, that I mean, was something this that, is was, kind that of, was pretty, pretty evenly tracked. I know when we were still living right. in Oakland, uh, gang violence, uh, you know, spiked and certainly that, that you saw that in a lot of other big urban centers. Yeah. And, you know, it was more what it tells you is that murder was spiking generally because that demographic teenagers tends to be uh, overrepresented in gun murders yeah, because they tend to be involved in street crime um, uh, at higher rates than other age demographics, which is sort of obvious if you think about this for for you know a moment but um you know it's not five-year-olds you know finding their guns that does happen but that's not what was causing the rise so this this was a a 
part of the general rise in murder in the United States that happened in that uh, post-pandemic or or during the pandemic, um, post-lockdown sort of yeah. era. That's, it's very, very interesting how we talk about this stuff. And I, I always like having you on because I think you are an honest broker with a lot of these numbers in a way that it's hard to find because the, the, the subject is so charged emotionally. But when I hear that, and I've, I've done a little bit of digging and, and that's really what I've found as well is that this is correlative more to violence and murders that happened during, during the lockdown. Uh, yeah. While in a lot of ways, we can easily conflate it and I wouldn't blame anybody for doing it with what we see in mass shootings or in school right. shootings or in, in stuff like that. These very, very visual, very, very visceral, very emotional uh, crimes mm-hmm. that happen. And so you see more of those in the news and then you hear, Oh, it is now the largest killer of children. And the first thing you think of is not, the drug trade <laughs> is not, right. you know, a, a, a gang gang violence, but rather, you know, what happened in in Nashville, for for example, you know, uh, uh, you right. know, or, or Uvalde, innocent children being murdered. Yeah, that's that's why I find it to be misleading in the way that it often gets used, even though um, it, it has it is accurate as a stat now. It actually, they uh, I remember fact checking a um, a Super Bowl ad from every town years ago, I think it was 2018 when they had made this same claim in their Super Bowl ad. um, But it wasn't actually true at the time. Uh, They, the the true part, the the true statistic would be if you included 18 and 19 year olds who obviously are not minors um, children and teens is what they used to say. And then sometimes the more dishonest people would drop the teens part. Yeah. Now, the fact that it has become true is a bad sign, right? It's, but it's part of this larger bad trend that we yes. saw during the you know post-lockdown era where you had a, a lot more murder generally in the country. And I don't know that this was, uh, you know, the fact that uh, there were more um, teenagers under the age of 18 being killed was not necessarily a trend among teenagers, but a trend among uh, crime generally, violent crime generally. And uh, so, again, it's one of these things where it's true and troubling, yes. the statistic, but it gets used in a way that is perhaps misleads people. It's very similar to a lot of discussion around gun deaths. Um, you, know, you see this a lot with California Governor uh, Newsom, mm-hmm. who will talk about California's low gun death rate, which he uses to imply that California's gun laws have stopped murder, have right? They are, 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 have worked to stop murder yeah. and, and mass shootings, but that's not actually true. They have a pretty average gun murder rate. Uh, they're, they're certainly not the anywhere near the top of the gun murder rate. They're pretty close to their neighbors who have yeah. completely different gun laws. They have a relatively low gun suicide rate, and uh, that's a legitimate thing to, to point out and talk about. And try to understand why California does do the gun laws there have an impact on the gun suicide rate. Uh, there's certainly more of a correlation there than there is with the gun murder rate. Yep. But but if you combine those two things together, uh, you because their gun suicide rate is, is pretty low uh, compared to the national average, you get a lower gun death rate when really the gun murder rate ha- hasn't been affected. It, it just isn't 
very good, uh, even in comparison to a state like Arizona, which has basically no, you know, the exact opposite approach to gun laws. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet, and yet those numbers are, are, are the same. Uh, have we seen a, a rise in gun related suicides post lockdown? Was that also something that, that, uh, that went up? Um, the, you know, it's interesting there. I, I don't think there's been a significant rise in gun suicides. I'd have to, I haven't looked at those numbers yeah. specifically, so I don't want to get too far out ahead. I will say that the proportion uh, has changed at least in the, because of the murder spike. So okay. there was, there was a significant spike in murders. Most murders in the United States are committed with firearms. So there was a sp- significant spike in gun murders. Um, and this, you know, you, one of the things you'll hear a lot, especially from the pro gun side of the aisle is that uh, going back to that gun death talking point, yeah. that two thirds of gun deaths tend to be suicides nationally. Uh, well, because of the murder spike, that actually isn't true anymore. Now it's more like 55, 45. Um, oh, wow. So, it gives so, you so, an so idea. the murder spike was that profound. Yeah, it was that bad. Uh, I mean, we were back to like, in some areas, 1990s levels of violence, which I know people look, you know, nostalgically make you feel uh, really nice about the 1990s if you grew up then, but no. the violent crime rate well, was well, really well, bad. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't all Capri Sun and TRL kids. Uh, 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 stuff, was, stuff was happening in the streets. Yeah, people have this very um, warped view of, of violence in America where like, especially if you grew up in the 90s or 80s, things feel like they were maybe, depending on where you grew up, obviously, uh, like they were better than they really were and that, you know, the, the media's tendency to focus on negative stories, you know, if it bleeds, it leads sort of things makes you feel like the last uh, up until the pandemic that things were getting worse and worse. And really violent crime and murder were at historic lows for like 20 years there. Yeah. Um, and and that's the big issue with this murder spike is that we got back up to those levels we saw in the 90s and 80s. And no one's really sure uh, if we're going to go back down. Like, yeah. Ooh, you know, was this a momentary spike? It does seem to have receded. Uh, we're not increasing, you know, the murder rate anymore. And and the, the earliest indication for this year is that at least in major cities, things have gone back down. Of course, it's actually harder to judge now because the FBI um, decided to change the way they collect uh, violent crime data in 2020. And really, um, yes. And so... As you might guess, governments, when especially because the FBI's reporting is voluntary, mm-hmm. and whenever you try to force a government bureaucracy to change the way it does something, uh, the results are usually less than stellar. And so in <laughs> 2020, um, they only got like 60% of police departments nationwide to report their data to the FBI. And so it, at the time, we were experiencing this gun murder spike yeah had less insight into it than we used to that's what a lot of the stats you'll see people throwing around about uh you know violence and murder in the united states when people bring up like the the weapons used in murders and they talk about the you know uh, that rifles are used less often than knives or what these talking points that you'll you'll hear usually they're talking about 2019 numbers because the new numbers uh, are not as reliable, unfortunately. Now it's gotten a little bit better since 2020, but uh, yeah, that that happened. So we, as we were having this terrible increase 
in violent crime, we were getting less, at least for the public, uh, less insight into what was going on. So if you, if I, if I said to you, Stephen Gutowski, that I would pay you a million dollars, if you could come up with something bipartisan that would pass in, in Congress, uh, uh, you know, the, the house representatives and the Senate that is something that is just sitting in, in this little sliver of a sweet spot that most people don't understand because they're, they're too polarized on, on one side or the other with the understanding that this is a Plinko game. You're going to drop this into the machine and it might ricochet out. Maybe, maybe it hits, uh, uh, what would be that idea? What would be that, that bipartisan, uh, concept for reducing gun murder for anything that would pass. Like, like I, I would say <laughs> anything gun related, anything gun related uh, that would, that would pass. Although you want to know what, G- give yourself a higher degree of difficulty and also make it effective. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there are some things that are less controversial, uh, maybe a bit less proven too. I, mm-hmm. I think anything that, that goes to restricting gun ownership for broad swaths of people is probably out, right? That's um, a no-go. All right, so that we're, know, we're starting there. Anything that restricts hardware, you know, specific kinds of guns for broad swaths of people also probably not going to mm-hmm. work. Um, and, and then anything that loosens restrictions on hardware uh, or gun ownership for broad swaths of people also probably out. All right. So, uh, so what point. does that leave us with? <laughs> what what, what not, can we work with? Yeah, not a lot. You know, mental health stuff. Uh, I think a lot of times Democrats view that as cop out by Republicans. So uh, and, you know, they did have that in the last compromise bill, you know, mental health funding of some sort. Yeah. Perhaps you could perhaps you could do something that's a bit more targeted than what they've done in the past. That That takes the issue a little more seriously than just general mental health, although, you know, general mental health improvement is not. It probably would help. Probably would help. Yeah. uh, You know, all sorts of things, suicide and murder. But, um, you know, you could maybe have a more targeted mass shooting mental health program that's passed or at least like a, you know, funding program from the feds that would encourage states to adopt something that's in line with like what the violence project has put out for how we can uh, avert mass shootings in the future through mental health care. Um, You know, I think Nikki Haley has talked about that a little bit, not just having uh, you know, guidance counselors every school, but like mental health professionals in every school. Yeah, that could actually probably have an impact. It would be very I would imagine that would be very expensive. But, you know, uh, I think the Congress is more inclined to spend a lot of money than they are to well, uh, either res- <laughs> loosen or restrict our gun laws. I mean, like, like um, since, since we're, 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 this is a bit of a looser conversation because we're, we're effectively working on a vacation. But like, you know, that is the only thing that Congress can do. Everybody thinks that Congress can do them. That, yeah. Con- Congress has one thing that they can do or sorry, two things. They can make something either legal or illegal right. or they can spend money and tell somebody else, here's money, make this, uh, enforce this yeah, law or, 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 or affect this outcome on, on the populace. That's all they can do. They, they, they cannot make actual things happen. They can pay money to say there's a new rule, enforce the rule. Right. And in that same vein, you know, if you're talking about the kind of violence that actually drives the majority of murders in the United States, you know, street violence, gang mm-hmm. violence situations, uh, often perpetrated by a very small percentage of people inside of a particular city. Um, they do, you do have 
something like um, <clears throat> violence interruption programs. Yeah. Which have been uh, at least something that the left has championed because it doesn't involve flooding police resources to an area. Like it's not police intervention, it's community intervention. Right. Um, and, and Republicans are probably not uh, at the, they're indifferent at the worst, I would say to these sorts of programs and supportive at best. So uh, because they don't try to restrict gun ownership in any way, they're mainly trying to find these people who are at most at risk of committing violent crimes and try to use community resources to, to, uh, you know, off ramp them into something less violent or some other mm-hmm. uh, solution. They're not perfect programs by any stretch. They're still relatively new. The studies on their effectiveness are a bit uh, mixed, but it is something that you could probably see congress agree on funding you know uh, put together a model you know like you're talking about what congress generally likes to do is put together a model bill yep. and then say if you do these things states will give you money to do it and so you could see that happen with community violence interruption programs and now all these things are not instant fixes right no it's not gonna it's not gonna bring the murder rate down by 50 percent next year these are uh, these are things you'd have to stick to long term to hopefully have an impact. I mean, obviously, just like increasing the economic situation of people in uh, in areas that are prone to violence, because, um, you know, that that could help reduce crime as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as like, oh, well, if we pass an assault weapons ban, first of all, it's not going to pass unless. Uh, you get 60 Democrats in the Senate or yeah. they break the filibuster or something like that. And then if they break the filibuster, the next time a Republican gets in office, it's going to get flipped again. It'll, yeah. get, it'll get overturned. Um, you know, uh, and would that there's obviously huge debate over whether that would actually have any <laughs> well, impact. Let, let, but, let me, let, let you me. know, those sorts of policies just aren't or, you know, if you look on the right um, concealed carry reciprocity, where your concealed carry license is good in every state, that's probably not happening anytime soon. No. Uh, when we looked at the spike in murders and I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, understand if, if you don't have this at, at the ready or just broad trends, do we have any sense of how much of that was committed by guns that were either unlicensed or stolen or not properly registered? Uh, you know, I don't have specific numbers on, on that. Uh, it's certainly, certainly not from the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, you, you do get like. Uh, the trace data that the ATF puts out, which is just um, it's less specific than that. It's more just that every gun that they trace back, to, you know, they find it in a crime scene or related to a crime. They trace it back to where it came from or, you know, as far as they can figure out the lineage of ownership. Yeah. And, you know, most of those guns are uh, the time to crime is what it's called from when it's first sold to when it ends up in a crime are usually, you know, eight to 10 years. So it's not something. So it has been in circulation in in some capacity, uh, uh, either being sold privately without registration or, you know, stolen or 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 somewhere for for a bit. Right. Most of the a lot of guns you see recovered at crime scenes are older guns. Um, They're not. It's not something where, you know, obviously it does happen where people straw purchase a gun where they they lie and you get someone else to buy them a gun even though they can't own one legally. Um, that, that stuff happens, gun running happens, but the vast majority of guns found in 
and uh, in, in crimes that are traced by the ATF, at least, are are quite old. Yeah. Um, and they've been circulating around. And if you look at studies of people who, uh, you know, surveys of people who have been incarcerated for gun crimes, um, you know, what the, what you'll see is that they, you know, they don't buy them from gun shows or at gun stores or what have you. They buy them from people they know, people who know that they can't uh, own them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they, they're they sort of and, and you'll see guns like passed around inside of uh, criminal organizations. Right. Like somebody needs a gun that day. The, the gun goes to them, so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, it, so as far as there has been a little bit of an uptick, I will say, in the number of new guns that were recovered at crime scenes. Um, I don't think that it was one that sort of explains the there there has there was this idea, right, that that uh, well, there was an increased demand for firearms during the, the lockdown period. Yeah. Right. Uh, or during the riots in the summer of 2020. And, uh, you know, so that is why there was a murder spike. And, um, you know, the the big problem with that idea is that the vast majority of guns that show up at crime scenes, like I just said, are older guns. They don't go straight from the store to uh, the streets, right? Yeah. It's uh, and the the reason we know there was a gun sales spike, right, is because uh, it's not guns aren't registered in the United States. Some states have registries, but generally speaking, there's no federal registry of guns. There's no the vast majority of states don't have a registry, so there's really no uh, exact number for how many goal, guns are sold each uh each year yeah right that's not how the system works you'll hear this number you'll hear numbers put out what they're actually talking about are nick's background checks national instant criminal uh, background check system is what you go through when you buy a gun from a licensed dealer right and so that gets recorded by the the um the fbi who runs the system and that that's the number that you get for when people are saying oh x and x amount of guns were sold in a given period and so what that also implies is that if you, uh, we know about all of the legal guns that were purchased, right? By people who could pass a background check. So uh, now, yes, I'm sure there's some percentage of those people who will turn around within a short period and use that gun in a crime. Yeah. Uh, or, or some of them were straw purchased, like I mentioned earlier. But the vast majority of those are going to people who don't have criminal records. It's unlikely that they immediately murdered somebody with the gun that they bought. Right um, now. Uh, so uh, at the same time, there was a little bit of an uptick in that time to crime where the guns were brand new, right? yeah. where they were less than a year old. So there there was some overflow, but it's I don't think it was anywhere to the point that it would explain the murder spike and how much more murder we saw in that time period. Um, and uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, uh most of the guns people use in crimes are, are older guns and they get them from people who know that they shouldn't be selling these guns or giving them to the person who ends up using them. Well, speaking of not being able to legally own guns, let's pull it into the station by talking about Hunter Biden, who uh, uh, very publicly, uh, and this is obviously an evolving story. There is uh, uh, in in the House, there's a whistleblower who says that the deal that was cut was not the deal that was supposed to be cut. We will allow that to play itself out. Yeah, uh, most of that was the tax stuff. That was the yeah. tax stuff, but there was, and and as it turned out, I think more. 
uh, uh, to the point of, of legal peril gun charges for for Hunter Biden. Where did he fall afoul of American gun law and what was the deal that was cut? Yes. So Hunter Biden bought a, a Colt revolver in 2018. Um, and the, the problem was, well, uh, first of all, this came to light and got attention because so it's a very it's a wild story, as you might expect, with Hunter Biden being. Yes. Involved, yeah, but, very, very few of his stories are described as anything less than wild. <laughs> yes. So he's um, he bought this gun. His uh, girlfriend at the time, who also happened to be his brother's widow yep. finds the gun is concerned for his mental health and safety. I guess he, he had been, he had been acting around according to text messages that were recovered mm-hmm. from the laptop. From his laptop uh, yeah. he, there, there was, there was a back and forth about his mental stability and his drug problem. Right. So she's worried about him having this gun. Um, uh, for some reason her, what she decides to do is to throw the gun into a dumpster behind a, a grocery store nearby um, I, I don't know why that's what she thought, <laughs> but either way, nine, 99 times out of a hundred, I think in that situation, it would probably just end up in a landfill, right? <laughs> right. Nobody. Um, but, yes. That, that would be, yeah. that would be that. But, uh, in this situation, somebody apparently commonly dumpster dove into this particular trash can, uh, supposedly looking for recyclables, but found the gun. And also another one where I would think 99 times out of a hundred, somebody dumpster diving and finds a gun is not the kind of person who's turning that gun into the police, but this guy was. Uh, so he turns it into the cops. They, you know, figure out whose gun it is by tracing it, you know, has a yep. serial number as we talked about earlier. And, um, and then uh, a weird thing happens during that investigation. This is Delaware's, uh, you know, local police in Delaware. And uh, the secret service shows up at the gun store that sold this gun to Hunter Biden and tries to get the background check record. Uh, like we talked about earlier, the next yeah. record from them, even though the Secret Service both was not giving Hunter Biden protection at the time um, and also has no jurisdiction in this situation. So the gun store owner, to his credit, refused to turn over the the checks to the Secret Service and gave him the ATF instead. This is this came out uh, in Politico, reported the story yeah. about the, the Secret Service's inappropriate uh, intervention in this case, you know, sort of implying that they were trying to cover it up and or somebody, something. Yeah, the, 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 the implication is that somebody on high, who knows that was related to Hunter Biden, maybe called right. in a favor to the secret service. And, Perhaps. and, and, and that is, yeah, that, that is, that something is something weird the, happened yes. with the secret service at the very that least. Is, that is as um, in, in the always sunny in Philadelphia parlance, the implication. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we don't have direct evidence that that happened. The Secret Service no. hasn't given an account of why this occurred. But that's what got public attention for this situation, that Hunter bought this gun. And then, of course, people knew that Hunter was using drug was a drug user uh, on and off throughout his life. Right. Um, uh, he the laptop. Right. Also had evidence that he was that he'd used drugs sure. in the past. And, and he, was, he had previously gotten drummed out of the Navy, I believe, for yeah. for, for for drug use. So this was right. this was something that was known. And so that that when people started, that's when people started making a stink about it, right? On on the right, at least, um, and in gun rights circles, because federal law forbids anyone who is an unlawful drug user, a habitual drug user, uh, from owning firearms. And there's a question on the background check itself when you go to fill it out that asks you whether you are 
an unlawful user of drugs. And so a lot of people were speculating like, well, uh, did he lie on this background check? Uh, yeah. And that's a federal felony if he did. And um, the, the problem is proving that is actually there's a fairly narrow uh, understanding of this this law of, in practice from um, Professor Drew Stevenson, who I've talked to about this, who studied this uh, this particular area of federal gun law. Uh, you know, usually they have to show that it's an ongoing use and there has to be evidence of it. And it's during the time you bought the gun. And a lot of the stuff on the laptop was earlier than that. And, and so, um, and they have to prove that you knew you were lying on this background check when the, when, when they do these charges. And, and so there was, you know, there wasn't really necessarily a lot of evidence to go off of i know that probably sounds weird to a lot of people because of the laptop and all the stuff that's come out with him pictures and videos of him doing drugs but that stuff's from before he bought the gun uh now the problem for hunter is that he wrote a book right an autobiography about this exact time period and went on a media tour and said i was doing crack every 15 minutes just constantly during the time period when i bought this gun and so i think that uh, actually is what uh, sort of forced the hand of these prosecutors in this case to even charge him for this. Um, yeah. Cause he might not have been charged. Otherwise this doesn't, it's what he was actually charged. So I guess that what he was actually charged with wasn't lying on the background check form. It was possessing the gun while being uh, an unlawful user of drugs. And, and so that's what the, they charged him for in this deal that he got. And that's actually not a very common charge as a standalone charge as like the only thing yeah. that you get charged with usually what'll happen with this crime the, um, it, it's kind of a catch-all crime there's a lot of people who illicitly use drugs whether you're uh this also includes marijuana this is where you hear talked about most is with yeah. marijuana use because obviously marijuana use is very popular it's viewed as much less severe and risky than Hell other yeah. harder drugs right and so people don't think it should be included and that's usually where the debate is around this yes. this law. Um, <clears throat> obviously, Hunter's a little different because he was doing a lot more than marijuana. But uh, but this this is sort of often put pursued as a tack on crime or a fallback crime. So if you catch somebody who's hauling a pound of meth and they have a gun in the car, it might be harder to prove that they're a dealer. Um, because you just caught them with drugs in the car and there might be more, it might be more complicated to go after them for that charge. So instead you just hit them with a unlawful user charge gotcha. um, uh, or something along those lines, or you want to get a bunch of people, but uh, you, you suspect that they're, you know, doing gun running or something, uh, but you only catch them with a certain amount of evidence you can use in court. So you go for the easier thing just to get them just to, catch a charge for them. Right. And that's usually how these prosecutions work is my understanding, at least from talking with uh, a number of people, a couple of prosecutors and and this professor. Um, so it's a little bit unusual that he got this charge, but he, he went out of his way. Especially kind of, as, as a, as a standalone, as, as, as the, a standalone. the, the yes. thing, normally there are other things that are involved and that's where right. uh, uh, you saw some kerfuffle around this with the, the lawyer for the rapper Kodak black saying yeah. that, like, Oh, my client had a similar thing and he got right. X, Y, or Z two tiered system of justice, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. A lot of people brought that guy up or um, there's been a couple other ones. There was the, the woman in Norfolk, Virginia, who's who's six year old, like shot their teacher 
right with their gun and that she got charged with this charge. Um, but I think those two situations are an obvious example of what I'm talking about, right? Like the cops yeah. wanted to get them on other things or did get them on a bunch of other stuff. Like Cody, uh, the co- was it Kodak, Kodak Black? Black. Kodak, Kodak Black. Black, yeah. Yeah, yeah I keep saying Kodiak Black, but yeah, which I think <laughs> is a cooler name, honestly. But that dude, um, I believe he was, he's been convicted of multiple felonies and a bunch of sex crimes. Um, yeah. In addition to these other things. And th- this stuff with him being a, you know, getting this charge later on where he got three years. Yeah. Because he had this long record of convictions. Now, you know, this doesn't mean that Hunter Biden gets no special treatment, right? I'm not, I'm not arguing that, right? There's, there's so much else around the Hunter Biden that's going on. And there's lots of pictures yeah. and videos of him doing crimes that he doesn't get charged for. I understand, you know, and the whole secret service intervention, you can understand why people look at what's happened with him and think he's getting special treatment. Um, I just, uh, what he was, even if you can look at the specific deal he got and say, well, for these specific charges, this isn't that crazy. It's sort of the atmosphere around the rest of it that I think puts people off a lot of times. And so um, <clears throat> for this gun charge, now this is a felony, right? Yep. Uh, and this is another thing I think people were bothered by. This is a felony, but he's not going to serve any jail time for any of this yeah. stuff. Um, he got a pretrial diversion program for the gun charge, which means that he can't use drugs for the next 24 months. Um, and, and then also he, actually his pretrial diversion program, one of the conditions is just one of the punishments that you would get for this kind of crime, which is that he can't ever own guns again. Uh, I guess yeah. he stipulated as part of this deal that he won't, he, he's not allowed to ever own guns again. So uh, that would be one of the punishments for the crime in the first place if you were convicted um but you know people can people look at that and they can say and there are other examples of people getting this charge that <clears throat> where uh, you know it's not as obvious that this was used as a fallback or attack on there's a couple of court cases um actually this is one of the one of the interesting things and i think for media people like you and i one of the sad yeah. things about this case is that Hunter Biden, the New York Times reported that he was going to make a Second Amendment defense if he was charged with this crime. Really? Yes. And so that would have that very likely could have been a landmark gun case where the president's son is fighting um, charges against him on Second Amendment grounds. And he had a a decent chance of winning of winning. Yeah. Yeah, like there have been a couple cases where people got this charge. Uh, there was one where a guy was found with weed in his car and a loaded gun, and they charged him for this, and he got convicted. His case got tossed because on Second Amendment grounds under this new Bruin test that we talked about earlier. Uh, there was another woman who was uh, arrested for um, you know, having marijuana and owning guns and then also transferring the guns to her husband who used uh, not just marijuana, but also cocaine and other harder drugs. Um, and, and so that case, she also got her case tossed under the Second Amendment defense. And so there's a very real possibility that Hunter could have fought this on constitutional grounds and oh won, which Lord. would have been quite the media story uh, at the very Yeah, uh, Hunter Biden, 2A American hero, uh, is, yeah. is uh, you United know, States at the very Biden. least, that would have been an, an insane new chapter in what has already been an extraordinarily <laughs> insane life for Hunter Biden. So we won't get that. Uh, and Biden, Hunter doesn't get any jail time. It's a pretty good deal for him, you know, in, in the yeah. end, obviously. Now, there's 
some talk that there might be other charges down the line. So um, it, it sounds but, like your your perspective on this is that obviously there's a lot going on here and there has been a lot going on from the very, very beginning of it. Hunter Biden is not a normal person in that he is the the son of the president and obviously has yeah. been protected. So with, with pricing that in, even then this is not, this is an odd charge. This is an odd place for it to land, but it is not an, an, an extreme giveaway like in terms no. of, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think so. This is just my personal judgment, but, um, I think if it was another uh, well-off white middle-aged guy who yeah. got, uh, you know, caught in the same way, he probably never would have been charged in the first yeah. place. And even Biden himself might not have gotten charged. If I, I, I honestly think that they kind of backed them into a corner on this because of that book with, with the book the media tour. Uh, you yeah. know, this we've seen this a lot in our political landscape lately but they're kind of like if you're if you go out there and tell everybody you were doing crimes uh yeah the federal prosecutors who might ignore this sort of ricky dang you know to a federal prosecutor they're not trying to go out this and is get not this one is not what they're after on yeah. a drug uh you know you know possessing guns while being a drug user crime. like the federal prosecutors want bigger store bigger cases than that right they want to go after you know, whole, whole networks of drug and gun dealers and stuff like that. Yeah. They, they they don't want to waste time on some, uh, you know, a little charge like this. They might let a state, you know, the state go after it if they want to do it. But, but, uh, you know, the, the problem is that he went out and was talking about how, I don't know if nobody told him that this was going to be a big problem for his, uh, you know, legal situation with this gun. But uh, yeah, he, he basically made the case for them. So, yeah. you know, I don't know that he would have gotten charged either way. I, you know, he could have, right? He always, he did this thing. It seems fairly clear, but, you know, I think in a lot of, in a lot of circumstances, <laughs> he wouldn't have gotten this charge. Uh, and now he got a pretrial diversion program. So, and which is also, I think for a first time offender, this is yeah. where the, you know, the Hunter Bidenness of it all comes in because people see everything else that's going on around him, but he didn't have a criminal record to that point. And yeah. so in, in the court's eye, he's a first time offender. He's his his crime was that he owned a gun. He didn't use it on anyone or threaten anyone with it. Um, it's so it's, you know, he owned a gun while he also used drugs, irresponsible for sure, but not the same thing as, uh, you know, shooting somebody, obviously. Yes. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that, that's that's why I think it a pretrial diversion is probably fine in that sort of situation. If you take the politics out of it, uh, of course, if you take the politics out of it, um, you know, he might've, he might've been charged for all kinds of other stuff too. I, I don't know. It, it's I mean, hard also, to, but like it's you said, there's also so much going on here, right? Like there's, yeah. there's uh, the, uh, him having the gun, the gun getting thrown in the trash, somebody <laughs> picking yeah. the gun out of the trash and not it's just pocketing it, uh, uh, but taking it to the police and then the secret service involved. I mean, there's, there's so yeah, much odd here that we kind of have a window that we would have never otherwise had seen into because of the iCloud records with the laptop that we yeah, even, which is also another wild any story. Of this context. A, like that's, that sounded like it was going to not be real when it first came out. And then it was, you know, yeah. like it's, it, there's a lot of wild stuff going on with Hunter Biden. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know. Like it's, it's just so crazy. And, and also I would say too, like, uh, this is sort of ancillary to all the stuff we're talking about, but 
Like if you're worried about someone owning a gun because of their mental health, which is a legitimate concern yeah, right? and probably yeah. was uh-huh. a legitimate concern for Hunter Biden at that period of his life. He didn't, I, I, doing I would well, think so. Clearly. Yeah. Um, you know, this is not the right way to handle it. You know, like contact a gun dealer or give it to you contact somebody who owns guns that, you know, almost anything other than throw it in the trash. That's like the yes. worst solution you could come up with uh, among um, among the lessons to be learned in this particular situation is and get the person maybe some more not, help you know like, yeah I don't know. yeah maybe that's not the smartest uh uh, uh steven uh, i will get you out of here on this one last thing i know that you are a philadelphia sports fan so mm-hmm. james harden opting uh, uh, into his contract, looking for a trade. Uh, do you, do you want to see him make it work? Like where, where are you at with, with, with the Sixers? Uh, I don't know, man. I clearly it's not working. Right. I, I don't know. Maybe we're too spoiled, but they, they have, they keep losing in the second round, right. With Harden. So yeah, if you can get, I'm not, I'm not as much of an expert on basketball because the Sixers have been so bad for so long. And so I don't even <laughs> want to pay attention like the last couple of years, uh, really, because the process took a long time to be the yeah. process and still hasn't actually resulted in anything more than an MVP title for Embiid, which is awesome. But, yeah, uh, you know, I'd much prefer uh, an NBA title, uh, as I'm sure he would, too. But so, yeah, I mean, if 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 Harden can't make it through a you know, the playoff run and consistently perform, which he's obviously didn't, um, you know, if they can find somebody to, to trade and the well, NBA seems that's really the tough, question. right? That's like, the question. Is Harden, who, who how old is Harden? It? Right. Uh, and yeah. but like, who are you going to get in return and how many stars are there in the NBA at this point? Because it feels like a super top heavy league, right? Like you got yes. two or three really great guys and you're, your franchise can win, but there aren't that many superstar level players is what it feels like. I'd love to see Jimmy Butler come back personally. They never should have, I'm a Miami heat fan. We're not allowed allowed to say things like that. (laughs) They never should have gotten rid of Jimmy Buckets, especially not for Ben Simmons. Well, that's, that's the thing that that, that is, that's, that's the heartbreak from, from a Sixers fan perspective is that it's like, no, the move was sell really high on Simmons. Keep, Trust Jimmy Butler and and Embiid. They obviously yeah, love playing together, uh, uh, and and that was that 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 was the move in hindsight. Now that but the that, Sixers uh, had what like four ben, top five picks that were total busts. You know, Embiid was the only one they hit on. Well, there was yeah, guys. there was a thing on the I think it was the Bill Simmons podcast with um uh, I, I forget uh Mike Lombardi the 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 GM who is a Philly guy and and just lit into the Sixers saying like you you can never just lose for five years. You're ruining any culture that you have. You're ruining the, the ability. Like that means that everybody who wants to say, screw this, I'm going to go as hard as I can. You're saying, no, yeah. If you want to do that, go somewhere else. Cause we're intentionally trying to lose for as long as, as, as they did. Well, they certainly lost. The problem is like you lose and lose and lose and lose and you get these high draft picks and then you completely bungle them. Right. There's like three of those guys who aren't even in the league anymore. Simmons is barely in the league at this point. Yeah. And Embiid is an MVP. So, yeah, you hit one out of five. Um, but that's not enough, clearly. Yeah. And and so it just feels like they're, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, 
because what are you going to do? You keep Harden and you go out in the second round again next year. Like, is that what anyone, is anyone going to be happy with that result? I don't know. You blow it up. Maybe, maybe it's a total disaster. Well, but the, but the question is, does, does blowing it up mean that you trade Embiid? I mean, if you really want to hit the reset button, then, then Embiid's the big piece. Yeah. But I mean, why, you know, Embiid's pretty young and he's an MVP. But now now like, you're back. You're back to where you were a couple of years ago. I feel like you guys are, are just, I mean, even like, at least you have the, 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 the high class problem of losing in the second round where before yeah, the season was done so. 20 games in. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's weird to be a Philly fan right now. Cause it's like the teams aren't all terrible. The flyers are terrible, but yeah. the Sixers are at least you know, They're they have good. the MVP. They could, yep. they, they could conceivably make the finals uh, every year is what the thought is at least. And then, you know, the Phillies just went to the world series and the Eagles just went to the Super Bowl. But the problem is that they haven't won, right? Like there's, these teams yeah. are really good, but they haven't actually won. And so it's like, I want to complain, but everyone's going to be annoyed if I complain about it because they're doing so much better than most cities. Um, but at the same time, if you don't win a championship, how much does it matter? Well, especially in Philly and for Philly mm. sports fans, I'll tell you what, that mm. is, that is a rough town. It's hard to stay positive in that town. Yeah. <laughs> at least we finally uh, won a Super Bowl in my lifetime. That's all. I feel like after all the years, uh, I've, I've seen two championships, right? The Phillies and the Eagles in my yeah. entire lifetime. That's it's something at least keep me going. I think, I think you guys, uh, uh, the Eagles, that's a hell of a team. I think that's, mm. that's, a. uh, uh, I always got get a great scared front of, office. Yeah. I always get scared of the super teams. We had a, we had a super team that knew they were a super team or at least said they were a super team. And well, no, they, they, they all got traded and it was, it was the, the super team on paper. The, the, this team yeah. actually made it to the, uh, made it oh, to yeah. the Super Bowl. So I, I think they're legitimately more talented than they were last year. After that draft, somehow, I mean, Howie's great. Yeah. Howie Roseman, I, I can't say enough great things about it. The problem is that getting just getting to a Super Bowl is so hard. Same thing for the yeah. World Series, right? It's like the Phillies are probably a better team talent wise than they were last year, but both of those teams, it's not like it's a guarantee they're going to make it back. You can be better and per- ultimately perform worse, even if you're not. Even just by luck, you know, some of it comes down to luck. Well, yeah, I mean, especially it's like, I don't know, when you get into the playoffs, each sport has its own thing that's kind of becomes way more important in the playoffs mm-hmm. than it is during the regular season. In baseball, it's pitching. In uh, yeah. uh, uh, hockey, it's goaltending. And in football, it's defense, where it's like it, it, you can be a team that scores really, really well. But guess what? Everything's going to slow down in in the playoffs and either you're going to have a really good defense that's going to turn the ball over and and be awesome especially when you're going at some of the high powered teams that that are there at the end or right. or you're not and and the and the Eagles came really close I mean like that was that was yeah. an amazing Super Bowl They should they should have won that Super Bowl oh my god I'm actually still mostly pissed that yeah the the call at the end was bad but the field the field was garbage. So yeah. it completely negated the whole pass rush, which was like the whole point of our defense. Yeah. Um, but they still should have won either, you know, Kansas city adapted better. Uh, and you know, the Eagles still should have been able to hold on and win that game. They were up significant at halftime and uh, you know, it, <laughs> and that's what just, it's just horrible. Cause like, again, it makes it so, it's so hard to get back there. Even if yeah. you have the best team, 
like the best talented and and they they should be better relative to the talent levels that should dominate the NFC even more this year than they did last year because the NFC yeah. has gotten worse um and the Eagles have gotten better so uh, but will they i mean they, their schedules a, a, you know significantly harder this year too so i you know they're not necessarily going to win 11 games in a row uh, i mean i they still could but that's yeah. so hard to do well um, and and it looks like the, the 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 divisions probably going to be a little better i mean the the, the giants are going to be a little bit better than they were yeah. uh so it'll be, be. it'll be interesting cuz usually the the nfc east recently it's like it has it has not been uh, uh the 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 division of uh a uh, uh, you know, top tier champions, but this, I mean, both last year and this year, it's, it's been scrappy to really good. And I think it's probably going to be really good this year. Oh yeah. I agree. All right. I mean, the Eagles are still going to win it, but yeah, <laughs> there we go. Uh, uh, Steven Gutowski, the reload CNN, uh, everything. Uh, is there anything specifically you want to direct people to? Uh, the weekly reload podcast. If you're looking for another podcast to check out, I think you'll enjoy that. We go in depth on gun policy, just like we did here. Uh, and I have an expert guest every week, somebody who's uh, affected by or an expert on whatever the big gun news of the week was. So, yeah, check that out. It's on all the podcasting apps and it's also on YouTube. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, man. Thank you. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics. Brought to you, as always, by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. It is brought to you by the the grace of everybody who supports us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I want to thank our guest, Stephen Gutowski. Uh, If you want to thank him yourself, you can go to px3guest.com. Letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Email me any of your thoughts, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can find the show on Twitter, px3tweets, and me on Twitter, Justin R. Young. You can find me talking live on the internet at px3live.com, and you can support my writing at px3newsletter.com. You can also share this podcast, px3podcast.com. On PayPal. You can make a one-time donation, paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And all checks can be sent to P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Not just checks, literally anything you'd like in the mail. You can send it to me. I had somebody, I believe it was listening to We're Not Wrong. I think I had made one too many metaphors about a, a bad place being like Bosnia. And so he sent me a children's book that he wrote as a Bosnian for his children, who I assume were raised in America to learn about their homeland and in a not so subtle attempt for me to stop making metaphor metaphorical references to a bad place being like Bosnia. So shout out to Bosnia. You can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier 
Jason, Andres, Matt, John, Gross, C. Garcia, Matthew, T. L. Basso, John, Craig Potts, MC Radio, Bugs Life, Niemeister, Unsafe DB Level, Amanda, Yield Pinball Shop, TB4, Bongo, Catherine, Todd, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris, Arslanian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome, Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, A, L, D, L, D, L, D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, if you'd like your name read, you can go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Like I said at the beginning, this will be the last episode on the free feed this week. It's Independence Day week, so the news slows down to a creaky crawl. So instead of uh, diluting something, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take the time. Uh, the Patreon folks will still get their episode on Thursday because for you guys, I never sleep. But until then, happy Independence Day, and I'll see you next week. A reminder that some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.